Bring it in. Absolutely massive episode of The Read Option coming to you today. Uh, really excited. If you uh, can tell by YouTube, I'm not in my normal location. I am up in Philadelphia uh, saying goodbye to the family house today. Uh, my parents have sold it as they're nearing retirement and uh, heading down to, uh, to live at the beach full time, which... That's all we can ask for in life. Um, but yeah, so I'm up in Philly. Uh, the sound might also sound a little different. The office up here is a little echoey. So apologies for that. But this will just be for the first part of the podcast. The second part of this podcast will be with the whole crew, uh, which will be reacting to the first 20 or so picks of the NFL draft. And then uh, we will live kind of watch and record uh, the back end of it. So uh, get excited. Um, lots of buzz around the NFL draft right now. Some Trayvon Walker likely to go number one now, the betting favorite. We talked about that on Tuesday's pod. Uh, we also talked uh, Aiden Hutchinson might end up being a Detroit Lions, still might end up being the number one overall pick. A lot of buzz with the Eagles potentially trading up. Some guys starting to fall. But this is the time of positioning, maneuvering, and there's a lot of reports going out because teams are doing that intentionally. Teams want you, want other teams to do this, right? They want us to talk about it. They want us to get all fired up. So by the time you're listening to this, uh, we'll know if this draft is as crazy as it's starting to feel like it's going to be. It feels like there's going to be a lot of reaches um, from some of the draft people I've talked to and some of the people on the national level even. This is as split of a draft in the NFL in, in the circles, the GMs, as we've had in a really, really long time. There are teams who have, you know, 20 guys with first-round grades. There's teams who have 10. There's teams who have Jamison Williams as the number one wide receiver, who have Chris Alave, who have Garrett Wilson, who have Drake London. It just feels like this is an absolute free-for-all, and I think it's going to make for really, really awesome television. And, and you'll hear again in part two of this podcast uh, on the back end of it, you'll you'll hear whether or not it's going that way or not, uh, who's going to fall, where the quarterbacks go. My anticipation is I don't think we see a quarterback go in the first probably the first 15 to 20 picks. Uh, it just doesn't feel like that, but you never know, right? I just don't see any of those teams at the top. Uh, there's too many guys who need it. However, one interesting note, the Giants did not exercise the fifth-year option on Danny Dimes, which we talked about what that means, uh, the actual fifth-year extension, right, and the fifth-year option and, and why that's a big deal. Uh, them not doing that kind of opens the door that maybe they take left tackle and maybe they take Malik Willis uh, and they're just kind of sleeping here. So could be interesting. Uh, the draft coming up in just about three and a half hours from the time that I'm recording this. Uh, but the main part of this pod is we're going to talk NBA playoffs. Uh, right now we have, I believe it's three, four series that are over. Uh, four, Milwaukee beat Chicago. Uh, Miami closed out. Atlanta, the Celtics knocked out the Nets on Monday night, finished that sweep. Uh, and then the Golden State Warriors last night, Wednesday night, closed out the Nuggets despite an Herculean type effort from uh, Jokic, who I think had like 32 and, and almost 20 rebounds and nine assists. It was unbelievable performance from him, all doing it on pretty much one leg. He pulled a hamstring about halfway through the game. So, uh, we have a lot going on here in the NBA. Uh, we have three huge games tonight. The Dallas Mavericks up 
three to two over the Utah Jazz. We have the Pelicans, who are now down two games to three to the Phoenix Suns after Mikel Bridges went off. And of course, my Sixers, who, to put it mildly, are uh, not looking great. Uh, losing game five at home was a real big blow. And so now they got to win game six tonight um, before to getting one last shot to avoid being the first team in NBA history to blow a 3-0 lead. We'll get to all that, but I did want to start off on um, a little bit of a somber note. Uh, I'm sure many people saw there was a story involving my alma mater, JMU, um, a softball player by the name of Lauren Burnett uh, passed away on Monday. Um, it was announced today that it was by suicide. And um, I didn't know Lauren. She was a massive part. She was a starting catcher as, as a freshman during that college world, women's college world series run last year. Um, she was right there when Odyssey Alexander made that unbelievable play at the plate. Um, it's an absolute blow. It, it's gut-wrenching. Um, she had been named CAA Player of the Week on Monday and Monday night um, passed away. And um, look, as someone who has struggled with mental health myself, um, and I know there's millions and millions of people out there who have as well, um, these stories just, they hurt you, you know, because you've, a lot of people have been in that that thought of, no one cares about me, my life, what am I doing? I'm, I'm depressed. And a lot of times it's the happiest people in the world. And uh, there's no doubt that she made a massive impact. Um, the softball world is a tight knit community and schools all across the country, um, all the way down from the SEC, Pac-12, C to Shining C, right? I mean, every state, every school, it felt like had um, their team had something, whether it was wearing purple ribbons, in their hair, um, whether it was painting something on their field, uh, moments, moments of silence, uh, just messages, thoughts of, of prayers and condolences. And um, it's just, it's gut-wrenching. It really is. And um, Lauren Burnett uh, will definitely not be forgotten. Um, but just love your people a little extra hard. Um, you know, my family had a little medical scare this week and it, it, scared the shit out of me. You know, I, I almost rushed and came back to Philly on Monday because of it. Um, and luckily everything's okay, but it, it's just a reminder, you know, you don't know what people are going through. Um, kindness goes a really long way, you know, just don't be an asshole. Right. And if you can give a little bit extra, if you can go a little bit of that extra mile for people, it, um, it matters. It matters a lot. And um, RIP to Lauren Burnett um, condolences, sending all my love to her family. Um, it's just heartbreaking. And uh, the JMU community, I know, uh, is hurting this week. Um, so just keep her, her family, her friends, everybody, that team in, uh, in your thoughts and prayers, because uh, it is, um, it's tough. It's a, it's a really tough uh, thing to go through um, for anybody, especially someone who created a lot of joy and happiness for a lot of other people. And a lot of times those are the people who are going through it the hardest. So um, reach out to your friends, your family, um, tell them you love them and, and just, just share, you know, share your life with as many people as you can. Let them know that you're there because, um, yeah, you never know what's going on inside of people's heads. So, uh, I just wanted to say that cause it's an important message, you know, it's an important thing and it's not something people like to talk about and mental health, the stigma around it's getting better, but it still exists. Uh, we just had Ryan Leaf on last week you know, and Ryan Leaf was suicidal and waking up on the floor of a prison cell wanting to end his life. And 
Um, I know from talking to him as a friend, you know, he has struggled with that even after his sobriety and, and after it. And it's, you never beat mental health. You just work on it every day. Kind of like your physical health. You're right. You know, you might lose a lot of weight and get in shape, but that doesn't mean you're going to stay that way forever. You have to kind of um, work on it um, in order to feel your best physically. And, and I think that goes tenfold almost for, for how you feel mentally and emotionally. Uh, and uh, it just doesn't get talked enough. So again, sending all my love and um, pod from, from the pod, but um, I know Scott and Vito feel the same way. Uh, we send our best to uh, the Burnett family and uh, JMU nation as a whole. Um, all right. Uh, never an easy transition to go from that to basketball, but we're going to try our best. Um, NBA playoffs, full swing. Uh, the Celtics swept off Brooklyn. Uh, ben Simmons getting absolutely eviscerated by Stephen A. Uh, and pretty much everybody, which is really ironic. Um, you know, I, I, we were just talking about mental health and you know, if Ben Simmons is struggling with this mental health stuff, like I, I encourage him to step away from basketball, you know, work, work on yourself. Uh, don't put yourself in that environment. Don't put yourself sitting on the sidelines uh, in sunglasses and, and some Gucci outfit, you know, like go, go take care of yourself um, because it, it's real. And I know his family's had a lot of issues as well, but this whole back and forth. And now it feels like people are dogpiling him harder than ever. Uh, and some of it's warranted and some of it's unnecessary, but the nets are discombobulated. I mean, top to bat, top to bottom. And, and this is not to take anything away from Boston. I mean, Boston was just the better team. Jason Tatum was the best player on the court the, the entire series. And defensively, what he was able to do matched up against Kevin Durant was spectacular. And it, it goes to show you, right, like how brilliant – some of these guys in the NBA are right. We still think of Kevin Durant as arguably the best player in the world. And Jason Tatum just kind of put himself on the map, you know, went toe to toe with, with the slim Reaper and, and put him out of his you know misery a little bit. Uh, I thought it was interesting to Kyrie after the game, acknowledging for the first time publicly that, you know what? Yeah. Maybe the whole COVID thing and not getting the vaccine might have been a distraction. And I'm kind of like, uh, you think, dude, you, you think, you think it might've played a small role. I mean, it's unbelievable. The lack of self, self-awareness on this guy, or what's even worse is the lack of empathy. Like if he knew this whole time, like, yeah, maybe it'll be impacting my team, but I'm just not going to say anything. You know, the one thing I'll at least give credit to Matisse Thibel, even though he's become a shell of himself and is unplayable in this series against the Raptors. But the one thing I at least give him credit on, he came out face, face the press, face everybody, took it head on and just said, look, I understand this might hurt my career. This might hurt my team. This might do this, but like I had to make a decision that was right for me. And I went ahead and did that. I disagree with it. I think it's a really dumb decision. And I don't think, especially after him getting one shot that like getting a second shot at this point, like why it doesn't make sense to me, but at least I respect the fact that he did that. Um, And he accepted the fact that this might be a distraction and ultimately it 100% is and it's, he's not been the same player since, especially with the fans completely turning on him. I don't know if I've ever seen a player like, you know, who was as loved as a role player like Matisse Thibel turn into one of the most disliked people on the team, especially in a town like Philly, where hard, you know, hard work, hustle, defense, all that stuff like resonates with them. And Philly fans just they don't even want him on the court. They don't even want to see Matisse Thibel. But I give him credit still for owning that. And Kyrie 
You wait until after you get swept by the team that you left to go to Brooklyn, that you went out on, on the court at the preseason game and said, if you'll have me back, even though you knew damn well you were not going back to Boston, lied to their face, stepped on the mascot, did all this shit. And then they whoop your ass. You are an absolute no factor. They're torching you defensively. And offensively, you had one big game in game one, but you still lost. And then you were basically a no-show for the rest of the series. I, that That's what it took, right? You know, you couldn't come out and, and be the man. And, 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 you know, he talks so much of this, you know, I got to do what's right for me about being a good part, all this bullshit. And then he never walks the walk. He's as hypocritical as any superstar I've ever seen in sports. And he's an unbelievably selfish. And I just, at this point, I don't know where they go. I mean, KD's turning 34 next year. Kyrie's 32, uh, 31 turning going on 32. I, the, the, the Nets are in trouble because it feels as though the Ben Simmons thing is a lost asset. I, I don't know how he comes back and is an impact player for them. So Good luck, Brooklyn. Um, and that's not to say that the Sixers are any better off. I mean, that, that's a trade that might go down as a lose-lose trade for both teams. But at least the Sixers have the option of going, you know what, Harden, you've been terrible. We're going to let you walk. And we're going to fire Doc Rivers, and we're going to take your max salary, and we're going to go out and try to get somebody else via trade or uh, via free agency to pair with Embiid. Brooklyn is stuck with Simmons for another three years on that contract where you're paying him max-level money we don't know if he's even going to be on the court again or when he's going to be on the court again. And the next time we do, it's going to be a year and a year and a half since the last time he played professional basketball. And we're supposed to expect that he's going to come in and be a difference maker for a team that has Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I mean, what are we talking about here? Right. And I, I just think they're, I think they're fucked. I, I don't know what they do, especially if Tatum, if this jump by Tatum defensively is as real as it seems, uh, they're, they're going to be good. I mean, Tatum is a borderline top five player in the NBA, if not already. It's hard to see him go toe-to-toe -to -toe with KD, beat him in four straight games, be the better player in four straight games but on both sides of the ball and say that Kevin Durant is better right now than Jason Tatum. And that's a weird thing for me to say because I've kind of stood on, on this hill for a while. Like if KD was healthy and played the full season with the numbers he was putting up, he probably would have been the MVP this year. And again, nothing against Jokic, Embiid, Giannis. I mean, KD was just that good during the regular season. I think Boston's a really bad matchup for them. But I also think Boston right now has to be the favorite to win the NBA Finals. I know, you know, Milwaukee still has Giannis. But with the Middleton injury, when they play in the next round, there's no, there's no way I see them getting by. Plus, the Celtics have like four dudes that can throw at Giannis, right? And they, even if that's just fouls. Right. Whether it's, you know, Jason Tatum's going to take a turn on him, Robert Williams, Al Horford. You're going to, you know, Marcus Smart's going to try to body him up at some point, which he definitely shouldn't do. Just stick him on Drew Holiday. And then, hell, you probably even throw Jason uh, or Jalen Brown on him for a couple possessions if you need to. The switchability defensively and how hard they all play is huge. And, you know, I heard uh, uh, there's a guy who works with the ringer, his name's Waz. And I got to give him a ton of credit for this take because it's so spot on, which is that we see so many guys, especially after Kobe passed, talk about that whole Mamba mentality, right? Like they, they have that dog in them. They're going to hit the big shot. And it's like, do you know what Kobe was through the first 10 years of his career? Well, you know, at least once he was an established like all-star, so not the first couple of seasons, but once he was like 20 until he was about 30, 
he was the best on ball defender in the league. Like Kobe played defense. Kobe got that from Jordan. Jordan won defensive player of the year multiple times, right? So we're talking about Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, these guys in this era where defense from your superstar mattered. And nowadays you're Donovan Mitchells and your Devin Bookers as amazing and talented as they are. They don't play defense like Kobe and Jason Tatum was in that group until Adoka went to Boston this year and, and something switched in that team. And Jason Tatum now is playing defense at an elite level, using that ridiculous six, eight, six, nine frame with a borderline seven foot wingspan to just be an absolute menace defensively. He's such a ridiculous athlete. And so credit to Jason Tatum, who I always said, like, if anybody, because he used to work with Kobe, and like, if anybody was going to be that next guy, Tatum had the build for it. And we're seeing now Donovan Mitchell is the worst defensive player on his own team in this Utah series, and he's getting cooked by, like, Jalen Brunson and and no sh- and Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, no shame to those guys. I love Jalen Brunson. Shout out to my Villanova Wildcats. But we're talking about, like, a stud here. We're talking about, like, a stud, stud in Jason Tatum. And Donovan Mitchell – can't even hold his own weight in a series against the Dallas Mavericks, let alone we're going to expect him to go toe-to-toe with a Devin Booker or Steph Curry out in the Western Conference or, or a Luka Doncic, right? It, it just, it's not going to happen because Donovan Mitchell has no interest in playing defense right now. Jason Tatum was that way, and it feels like it's finally clicked for him. For him to have that Mamba mentality, it's not just on the offensive end of the floor. It's on both ends of the court, and when he's playing that well, you have Jalen Brown as another option. The fact that Marcus Smart finally embraced just being a straight-up point guard this year, playing 35-plus minutes at that position. You get small, not small, but slightly undersized, but athletic, versatile bigs. Robert Williams, one of the top 10 defensive players in the league this season. Al Horford having a massive renaissance. Uh, and then you get these little guards. I mean, Derek White being able to take some of the ball handling off of Marcus Smart, right? That's huge. For Boston and because it also allows Marcus Smart to go ahead and be that annoying pesky defender and then you got like Peyton Pritchard coming out off the bench who is like the most quintessential Boston you know villain that we've had in a long time he's like Danny Ainge 2.0 uh, he's not as good as Danny Ainge was but like in terms of that you know don't really like him but like damn you would love to have him on your team kind of guy Peyton Pritchard fills that out so really dominant performance in that series by the Boston Celtics. They went in, they won both games in Brooklyn, and now they got Milwaukee. And without Chris Middleton, and I know Giannis is amazing, but without Middleton, and now we're relying on DiVincenzo and Pat Connaughton and Drew Holiday. Ha- and Drew Holiday's still really good, but I don't see Milwaukee getting out of that series. And I think whether it's Philly or Toronto or Miami, I think Boston is a better team than all of those teams. So I'm telling you now, I think Boston's the favorite to win. Because if they get to the NBA Finals and they're playing Phoenix, right, and it's Chris Paul and Devin Booker, having Marcus Smart to guard Chris Paul is a huge win. He's got the size, and we know how annoying. He's as annoying defensively as Chris Paul is annoying offensively. And then Devin Booker, you can throw Jason Tatum on him. You can throw Jalen Brown on him, two excellent wing defenders who have size and length on Devin Booker who are going to be able to challenge all the shots. And then whether it's Horford or Robert Williams matched up against Aiton, you know, and then whoever's whichever one Tatum or, or Brown isn't guarding him to get the other one on, on Mikhail Bridges, uh, Boston matches up really, really well with every team left. The one team that I think has the tools to beat 
Boston is Golden State. And that's just because between Clay and Jordan Poole and Steph, they can get half and three. But after as dominant as they were in those first few games, Golden State, the last two games were, were tight, right? They dropped one in Denver and then they went back to Golden State. But Gary Payton Jr. shooting the ball really well. So I, I just think right now Boston should be the favorite to win the title. And I would take the Celtics to win the title right now. Um, so that was that series. Milwaukee, no Zach Levine in that game against Chicago. Writing was on the wall there. Giannis is in peak form. And again, I think right now Giannis should be considered one of, if not the best player in basketball. He's so physically dominant and, and overwhelmingly powerful and athletic and can you know, doesn't shoot the ball great, but he knocks down his open three. So he at least keeps you honest. And defensively, he's the best, he's the best defensive player in the league because he can guard one through five legitimately. And no disrespect to Marcus Smart, but like Marcus Smart wasn't even the best player on best defensive player on his team this year, but he was definitely the most important. He wins defensive player of the year. I wouldn't have voted for him personally, but I get why people did. And Giannis to me is still the guy you need somebody to lock somebody up defensively. You got one option. It's Giannis. It's and, and every GM, every coach in the league, every player in the league would say the same thing because with his size and athleticism and length, he's just can be so overwhelmingly dominant physically. Um, and so, yeah, it's not a surprise to me that, you know, especially with a banged up bulls team, no Lonzo, no Caruso, no Zach Levine. I mean, what, what do we expect was going to happen? Right. So they cruise through Chicago. They're on, to the Eastern Conference semis. Uh, and then to round out the Eastern Conference, we have the Miami Heat, who ended up winning with Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry on the bench. They end up cruising to another win with Max Struess, right? And, and these guys uh, just getting wet from three. I mean, I don't know where they keep finding these guys, these undrafted guys who end up being great players for them, but the Heat culture thing seems to be alive and well. And I, I'm telling you now, like, I would not, as a Sixers fan, I am worried about that series because Bam is probably number two behind Giannis when you're talking about defensive players and what he could do, just his athleticism, versatility, his ability to switch, uh, and the way that they just play defense, passing off to one another. And the fact that they still beat Atlanta without Jimmy Butler or Kyle Lowry, basically giving them just a rest day, right? It, it was, uh, it was, uh, Oh my God, I can't think of the, the, the term. Um, it was the management, right? The load management. There it is. Uh, you know, it was load management in the playoffs and they still won. They won comfortably too. Like that game never felt like it was that close. Even though it ended up being like a came down to the last possession, that game never felt that close. The one game that Atlanta did win, they had to fight and crawl and, and, and scrap to get back in and Trey hit a really nice floater that, that went in. But I don't see them, you know, I, I don't see them having trouble with Toronto or Philly in the next round, uh, especially with the way that Philadelphia is looking, which brings us to the Sixers. The Sixers are in trouble. They're in big trouble. And this is probably the Philly fan in me. And I know the people who are going to reach out to me afterwards and say, dude, you're overreacting or what are you talking about? This has the potential to be career altering for Joel Embiid. And the fucked up thing is, is it's not Joel Embiid's fault. It's, it, I, I don't know who to put the blame on, right? I, the team is poorly constructed. There's no depth. You know, I love Furkan, but I think Furkan has, has played his role, right? I think Furkan's time 
on the Sixers is probably done after this year. So you don't have another shooter off the bench. Shake the Shake Milton experience. You know, there was a time we thought he would be what Maxi is now, but that only worries me to what Maxi is going to be moving forward. I still remember when Shake Milton dropped 39, you know, against the Clippers in a, in a huge game in the regular season, right? Just a couple of years ago. Tyrese is very similar. You know, I think Tyrese is a better prospect than Shake is. I think he's a better athlete. I think he's become a better shooter. I mean, finished top five in three-point percentage this year with like a, for guys who took a minimum of 100 attempts, which is an unbelievably impressive stat considering he was at like below, I think it was like 32% last year he was shooting from three. So to make a 10% jump shooting the ball is huge. And Tyrese has the potential to be really special. But as soon as Toronto got Scotty Barnes back, and with Fred Van Vliet being out, it's forced Toronto to just play this long, athletic, small ball kind of lineup where, you know, it's it's Ken Birch, you know, playing playing the center or uh, Boucher coming in and playing center. And it's just these long, rangy, quick bigs. You have Siakam, Scotty Barnes, uh, Achua, Princess Achua, right? They have so many long, crazy athletic defenders that Tyrese can't get a shot up despite how fast he is because he's, he's gotten his shit swatted multiple times. James Harden has no first step anymore and he's not shooting the ball and he looks afraid. This looks like classic playoff James Harden and Embiid with the, with the injured hand is going back to Embiid who likes to stand at the top of the key, do a little shimmy shake, do a shitty pump fake, trying too hard to get to the line Embiid's at his best when he's not trying to get to the line, when he's trying to physically impose the other team. And I'll say this now, if Embiid blow, if, if the Sixers blow a 3-0 series lead and they're the first team in NBA history to blow a 3-0 lead, it's going to fucking beat in the head. It's going to. And again, I'm not saying it's even his fault, but it's just going to. There's no way after the, the Kawhi shot coupled with this to lose to the same team without Kawhi, without Kyle Lowry, after all the shit he had to go through, he didn't win the MVP this year, which at least assuming he didn't win the MVP this year, he's going to be second team all NBA because people who vote for this thing are fucking stupid. And we do that same stupid thing. Instead of doing front court, back court, you're only allowed to have one center on your all NBA list, even though Embiid was clearly the number one or number two player in the league. That stuff's going to get to him. And at some point, Embiid's going to feel like we as fans do, which is just exhausted. I'm exhausted by this i'm exhausted by this team i don't know what else we can do what we can say and i even thinking too like weirdly enough what might be the best thing for the franchise as a whole moving forward might be to blow this series and i understand that that sounds insane but if the sixers blow this series moving forward you cannot bring james harden back there's no way you can give him $200 million. There's no way with how bad he's looked. And I and if Maury does, it's a fucking mistake. They still have enough to win in this series. They could win tonight. And this whole rant could seem really dumb. But even still, do I think they're going to get past Miami? No, I don't. They don't have the horses. And if you do lose this 3-0, then Doc is definitely gone. Harden should be gone. And if both of those are gone, then all right, Sam Cassell, you're up. Because Sam Cassell is the best coach on the Sixers uh, coaching staff right now. No question. He is almost single-handedly responsible for what's happened with Tyrese Maxey. 
Sam Cassell, you're the new head coach. Doc, go enjoy being the head coach of the Lakers and fucking up again. And don't bring back Harden because then at least you have cap space. You can get creative or do a signing trade like you did with Jimmy Butler a couple of years ago. You, you sign James Harden to the deal and you trade him to another team or you make a deal with I don't know, Chicago for Zach Levine, right? Or you at least explore that and at least you have the possibility. But we're running out of time with this Embiid prime era. We've now had back-to-back seasons. And I'm still holding out hope, which is wrong, but it's also what being a fan is about. And I talked about that last week, right? You take it with the highs and the lows. And I'm taking this as a high. You know, I took it as a high last week. I'm taking this as a low, but I still believe. I still believe they can win this. I don't believe they can get past Miami. And if they are able to, and they're in the Eastern Conference Finals in three weeks from now, then I'll have to eat my words. And I'll gladly do so. But the first two games, Philly looked unbelievable. The last three games, the Sixers looked like shit. The Sixers didn't lead in regulation for the last three games. It wasn't until the overtime period that the Sixers took a lead when Embiid hit the shot. Right? And then the last two games, they just got blown off the floor. They got blown off the floor convincingly. And Doc seems to have no answers. And now they got to go up to Toronto in a place that has some of the most vile and disgusting fans in the world with some of the shit that they say on social media, making fun of Joel Embiid's brother dying in a car accident kind of shit. But again, Philly fans, we threw a snowball at Santa Claus 65 years ago. So we're the fucking worst, right? But it's, it's getting absurd. The, the amount of shortcomings this team has. And I pray Embiid finds a way to win this game tonight. But if they don't, and if it goes to game seven, I don't think they're winning game seven either. James Harden has to miraculously age backwards three years, five years, and then they would win this game. But they don't know what to do. Embiid's hurt. And I just feel bad for Embiid because at this point, I don't know what else is happening, man. And I have this long theory, and if it happens, and I'm already planning it because I'm so fucking scared of this team losing again in an embarrassing way. And I don't know how much I believe in karma, but if it exists, this is sports karma. This is, this is sports karma at its, at its absolute apex. Sam Hinkey, the process, all of it. Let's hope for my sake and for the collective sanity of the city of Philadelphia, the Sixers find a way to win this game. But I wouldn't hold the breath. I wouldn't hold your breath. All right. The Western Conference, uh, Golden State looks like the best team. Golden State looks like the best team in the Western Conference. Uh, But Devin Booker reportedly will be coming back for game six to help try to close out the Pelicans. I imagine they will get that done tonight. Again, this could all sound really dumb. I'm recording this before those games. But my guess is they get it done tonight. They end the series. Valiant effort, to say the least, about this New Orleans Pelicans team who was a nine seed, had to fight their way to get into the playoffs, got into the playoffs, and now have, you know, took on the number one seeded, you know, uh, Phoenix Suns, even without Devin Booker. But when Booker was still playing, all those games are close anyway. And I'm expecting them to make this tight. I could see a game seven happen very realistically. 
But if Booker's back, I think just even the threat of him, what that's going to open up for other guys, and especially the way Mikael Bridges played on uh, on Tuesday night was just spectacular. So uh, expect the Suns to go out and win another. That's at least my prediction. I don't know. We'll see. Dallas and Utah. I'm excited for that only because of Luka. I love Luka. I think Luka is one of the top 10 players in the league easily. Uh, and uh, the one thing he's missing from his resume so far, at, at, at based on this trajectory of his career, like how early we still are in his career, is a deep playoff run. And if they do win and, and Devin Booker's not 100%, they could steal the second round from Phoenix. That wouldn't surprise me at all, especially the way Jalen Brunson's been playing, the way he can play off the ball. He can run the offense with or without Luke on the court. And Spencer did what he's good for 20 points. He's just too good of an ISO scorer, and he's a knockdown shooter. And then defensively, Maxi Kleba has been great. Dwight Powell's been great when he's been in. You know, there, there are guys on that team. Um, and, and I think Luca, because of how he can just take games over, he makes the other team dictate his pace always. He wants to slow it down. He wants to play Luca ball. And he forces other teams to do that. And the fact his size alone, I mean, that's the one thing with Luca. I don't think people understand is how enormous of a human being he is. He's a full six, eight, you know, he's a big, big dude playing point guard and is also one of the most lethal and terrifying shooters in the game. We've seen him hit big shots already. He hit a couple in the bubble. He's hit some game winners during the regular season. I expect them to put this jazz team to bed and officially kill this jazz team, which will, more than likely look to try to trade Rudy Gobert in the offseason. And then if, if they can't find a trade for that, you know, probably Donovan Mitchell looks like he might be on the move there too, which, I mean, again, heat culture, if he's on Miami, I mean, if you're thinking long-term Miami, because I, I Miami's good, but, you know, I, I still don't see how they get past anything, you know, and moving, you know, I don't see how they get past Boston. I think they could but you have a 36-year-old Jimmy Butler and a 37-year-old Kyle Lowry, that, you're not talking about a 10-year, even a five-year future more than like. You're talking about like a window here that's like a year, maybe two. But Miami's also been playing really good basketball, and that's a tough place to play. And in my opinion, the best coach in the NBA is the head coach of the Miami Heat, Eric Spolstrom. Uh, so I guess that's kind of where we stand right now. Um, Oh, and then how did I forget? The craziest series of them all, Memphis and Minnesota. The series has been drunk off its ass the entire time. Neither one of these teams – both of these teams want to win this series so bad, and at the same time, neither one of these teams want to win, it feels like, right? The, the back and forth stuff, John Morant, Anthony Edwards, it's just two young pups getting their feet wet in a real series. Carl uh, Anthony Town is already not the best player on Minnesota. It's Anthony Edwards. D'Angelo Russell – I don't know when his contract wraps up. I think he's got one more year of it after this. Minnesota will be looking for that post D'Lo era because if he had, honestly, like Ricky Rubio, you know, if Ricky Rubio was still on that team, like we're talking about a much different series, I feel like. And God, Anthony Edwards, John Morant, just that dunk by John Morant. That was the best dunk we've had in the NBA in years, like years, years. I mean, uh, there's a great picture of it, and I saw a bunch of people say, like, if this was 1994, this would be on every NBA, every 12-year-old NBA fan's wall, because it was absurd. And he just took the life of Malik Beasley, just absolutely took his soul with that dunk. Uh, but the Grizzlies can't shoot threes. 
which is why I feel like no matter who wins this series, I feel like Golden State's going to beat them. Memphis is a terrible three-point shooting team. Minnesota's inexperienced, the, the collapses they've had. You know, they're, they're winning that game by four coming down the stretch. And then even still in that last possession, Anthony Edwards hits an unbelievable corner three on a beautifully designed play. 20-year-old drills it in the corner with, you know, three seconds left on the clock and then decides he wants to go one-on-one with John Morant. John Morant blows by him. I don't know why he tried to get behind him. And John Morant gets a relatively easy look at, at, the, at the basket for a layup. And he's, he can just hang in the air forever. And he's so his body control while in the air, his ability to avoid defenders, it's so natural. But Memphis needs to learn how – they need some three-point shooters. You know, if you had a Seth Curry on that team – and they have some guys who can. I mean, Dylan Brooks is, is, a, is a good player. Um, Bain is – Desmond Bain's a really good player, right? Val, uh, Steven Adams when he's – I mean, but the other thing too is like – Jaron Jackson Jr. is supposed to be that 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 Robin, but it's right now it's not. Right now it's he can't stay on the court. I mean he's he's fouled out of three of the five games that they've played. In the other two games, he had five, four or five fouls by the end of it. I mean his fouling is terrible. And we talk about how bad it is on for Carl Anthony Towns. The fouls that Jaron Jackson Jr. is taking are bad. And so that series goes back to Minnesota on Friday night. That's must-see TV, and I cannot wait. I, that, that whole series has just been absolutely electrifying from the get-go. So get excited for what we you guys will know listening to this tomorrow, what's already happened on Thursday night's game. I'm either going to sound really smart or really dumb. Pray for me, please, uh, retroactively, I guess. Uh, or at least, you know, when you're listening to this, have an extra beer on Friday night because uh, if the Sixers lose on Thursday, uh, not only will my collective mental health, but all of city, the city of Philadelphia might be on fire. Go Sixers. Enjoy the playoffs. We'll be back on the other side of this break. We'll be at draft time. We'll be about 20 picks in. I'm excited. I know the boys are excited. So hang around. We'll be back in a sec. All right. So you've heard the open. You heard me talk before the pod even started at the very beginning of the opening about how I was pretty sure that this draft and my thought was that this draft was going to be insane and there was going to be chaos and there was going to be just craziness all over the place. And you also heard me say that the Philadelphia 76ers were going to lose. Well, I've never been happier to be wrong in my entire goddamn life. The NFL That's right. Draft, you got to wear it. <laughs> the NFL draft has been drunk off of its ass. The Sixers won by 30 in Toronto. Right now, Chris Paul started the game 14 of 14, and the, it looks like the Suns are going to clear that off. There have been trades. There have been – there's been one quarterback taken off the board. I, boys, I can't – oh, and by the way, I had my first, like, viral tweet today, which is the craziest experience. I can't even tell you. Like, my Twitter has just not stopped blowing up, which it's not even that. It's like a baby viral tweet. But nonetheless, like, this has been one of the most insane days of sports as a Philly sports fan, but just as a football fan, one of the craziest drafts in a year that we thought this is going to be 2013. This is going to be EJ Manuel. It's going to be Christian Ponder and Blake Bortles and all those drafts in the past. No, it's not that this has been absolutely bonkers. And of course it's in the perfect place. Las Vegas. We should have known this was coming boys. We should have let it roll coming. So I'm going to let my brain, because right now my brain feels like somebody took a pint of ice cream and left it out. 
when they were drunk on the counter and then went and turned on Netflix and fell asleep and then woke up three hours later and then they found just melted ice cream. The puddle emoji. Yeah, that is where my brain is at. So I'm going to let you guys go while I try to collect my thoughts right now, because tonight has just broken my brain. A.J. Brown is a Philadelphia Eagle. Jordan Davis is a Philadelphia Eagle. And that's just the very, very, very tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah, this is nuts. I, I like I I I the more I read leading up to like even the hour before the draft, the more I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be absolutely insane. Like one, two are gonna be chalk, uh Trayvon Walker and and Aiden Hutchinson, and everything else is gonna be like completely insane. And then it was relatively mundane until what uh, 12, 13 when we started getting just absolutely electric. And that that was it's been so much fun. Kevin Lawyer, God, dude. Well, I, what's been incredible is that, it, like, when the eighth pick happened and Drake London went to Atlanta, I was I was actually watching with our boy James for a little bit, um, and I instantly turned to him like, we could see a run at wide receiver here, which is historic. I could see six in the next ten picks, and six in the next ten picks, wide receivers were taken. You and it. dude, it was incredible yeah. to see Dotson go that early. Uh, the Burks trade. Yeah. Peoples, right. Right. I mean, but, but just to see some of these guys go, I love the lines moving up the, the saints, the jets all getting their guys. I, I love some of these picks. I mean, you're talking about some all-time duo receivers. Now when you're talking about, I love the Olave with Thomas, like there's been so much movement and Kyle Hamilton dropping to Baltimore feels like a perfect fit, right? Oh, he, he feels like That's a Raven. So like <laughs> it's yeah. going to be really yeah. fun. I, I, Ed I Reed love this. type. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and by the way, for me, the steal of the draft was Thibodeau and Neil um, at five and seven going to the giants. Like they got two guys that we could have seen go in the top three. Yeah. No, I, the fact that, you know, Thibodeau, Thibodeau at five was a little, I thought we were going to see a, a drop, right? He was the guy, he was the trendy pick that everyone was like, all right, Thibodeau is going to drop here. Yep. Uh, by the way, as we're doing this, the uh, Dallas Cowboys pick is in at number 24. So we will uh, have our reactions as the back end here of the draft comes through. But the, the, the Thibodeau draft pick was surprising um, only because I was expecting him to fall more than he did, but the Giants got, I think probably the, the highest upside player on the board at that time, or at least one of the highest upside guys. And then Evan oh, Neal yeah. dropping to seven w- was huge for them. Carolina took uh, Iki Kunu, right? So they shirt up their offensive line. It felt like everyone in the top 10 did what they were supposed to do. I was a little surprised that Atlanta took Drake London over Garrett Wilson. I thought Garrett Wilson would be there for sure. But instead we have the Wilson duo, which is Zach Wilson throwing to Garrett Wilson in New York, which is a fantastic move. And Scotty, you texted us right after the 10th pick saying, man, this draft is pretty boring. Where are the trades? And then literally from picks 11 to 18. (laughs) I manifested it. (laughs) In those eight picks from 11 to 18, there were four trades. Literally four out of the next eight picks were traded, including three in a row, 11, 12, and 13. Uh, As we were talking now, Tyler Smith just drafted to the Dallas Cowboys offensive tackle. Uh, Interesting move. Um, but Tyler Smith going in the first round, that was a great call by you, Scotty. Um, but the, the whole, the whole draft was just ha- so far. And when I, this whole first round, we're talking about we're 24 picks into this thing. It, it has just been unbelievable. So I, I guess we, I, I said this to you guys before we started talking, right. And I'll be honest with you guys. We don't really have much of a plan for this segment of the pod, um, because it just feels like mayhem. And I was expecting some chaos. I was not expecting this much chaos. So we're just going to try to rip on the fly here. But I have to. I Speaking feel of like, fly. 
How about fly Eagles fly? <laughs> That's exactly what I was saying. I feel like the Eagles are right now, as we sit here on pick number 25 to the Baltimore Ravens. Damn, we didn't even mention Hollywood Brown traded to the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Too. Like, yeah. Have the Eagles do. Is the Eagles where we start? Is that where we start? Or am I being a homer? Because it feels like that's where we have to start with. No, this. no. I think I think they've had the best night of the draft with what they've acquired talent wise versus what they've had to give up. Now they've had to give up a lot. They've given up the 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 two the third, the two fourths, and the fifth, right? Something like that. So they gave um, up. A, they gave up a third rounder this year. They had, I believe, they had three, two or three third rounders this year. So they didn't give up all the thirds. They gave up a third and a and um their 18th pick this year to get AJ Brown. And they signed him to a hundred million dollar deal. It's only 57 guaranteed, uh, which likely means at its, ma- I mean, this is basically a similar deal, a little bit lower than like what Kenny Galladay got last year. Right. Uh, Kenny Galladay's deal, I think was upwards of like 85 million, but yeah. it was like 54 million guaranteed. So we're, we're no talking. Touchdowns. Yeah, exactly. Uh, AJ <laughs> Brown in, in three years, has uh, 24 touchdowns, 3,000 receiving yards, and 125 catches, right? So we're And he's also missed some times with injury, but we're talking about an absolute stud. Perfect, perfect combination receiver with Devontae Smith. Now, in our mock draft, I had the Eagles at 18 taking Traylon Burks. Traylon Burks did go 18, but he went to the Tennessee Titans. The, the remarks, right, and it was so funny that this trade happens, Tennessee takes Traylon Burks, right? Um, oh, we have we have a trade. Thank you, Scotty, for updating it. Baltimore and Buffalo swapped from 23 to 25. Okay, so that makes sense. So Buffalo did trade up to get Trent McDuffie, the cornerback out of Washington. And that is why Baltimore, who had traded that pick with Arizona to get or to get rid of Hollywood Brown, but to get 23 is now drafting at 25. Yeah. And we'll see where that's going now. Um, it was funny on the ESPN broadcast. They showed like the, the player comp for Traylon Burks. It was A.J. Brown. Right. And so I'm texting and shout out to my buddy, Ryan, yeah. who listens to the pod. He's one of our OG listeners here. Uh, he texted me saying it was like, you know, Traylon Burks could be anything. Traylon Burks could be AJ Brown. Right. If Traylon Burks pans out, he's AJ Brown. Right. Or <laughs> he may not be right. He, I guess there's a small percentage chance he could be better, but realistically speaking, that's a really high bar for him to set. Right. If that's the expectation for him, that's a lot of expectations for him. And yeah, they have Robert Woods there, but we're probably not going to see Robert Woods until about week four, week five anyway. Right. So Traylon Burks has a lot on his shoulders already. AJ Brown's going to, to a team where you already have a number one wide receiver who's hit Vito. You mentioned before the pod, Howie Roseman has not had good success drafting a wide receiver. So why not fucking trade for one who's already a pro bowler? And by the way, he's only 24 years old. You have him for five more years under control and they still have both first rounders next year. Yeah. I mean, they gave up a little for him, in my opinion. I mean, this is a ridiculous grab for, for the Eagles. I think that you're getting a guy who's young, who's great talent, right? I mean, he was opposite of, um, I was missing his name earlier. Uh, um, Julio? Who did, Julio. He was opposite of Julio when they were together. He was still outshining Julio. Julio's later in his career, but he was absolutely doing all of those things that you're used to Julio seeing. And it was fun seeing him on the same field, but he without a doubt has that talent and he's young. This is a just absolute steal. I feel like for the Eagles to only give up a one and a three basically for him. Right. Yeah. Well, and so, and think about this way, right? Because Vito, your reaction to the Jordan Davis trade where they moved up to 13 and Lewis Riddick said something on the broadcast because the Lions traded up to 12 to draft Jamison Williams. And he essentially was saying that like the Lions cucked the Eagles and were saying like he, they got him just ahead of the Eagles at 12. 
I don't think that's true. I think the Eagles. So I went back last night before the draft, right. And like getting excited for it and looked at who were the players that the Eagles brought in to, to who were the guys that the Eagles brought in to, to, you know, have their visits. Cause they get 30 visits with players and they only cashed in about like 15 of those. The two like standout guys from that group were Jamison Williams and Jordan Davis. Right. And it seemed like there was a really good chance that, Jamison Williams was going to end up being an Eagle if he fell there. Right. So then the Lions make their trade to move up to 12. They take Jamison Williams. I think the Eagles looked at it as like, Hey, if we have the option there, we can take either, but they knew that Baltimore really wanted Jordan Davis because of that uh, Calais Campbell kind of comp, which a lot of people were saying. So when I look at the two trades, the Eagles made tonight, if you said the Eagles are going to give up, they're going to move up. Right. So they're basically going to trade their draft picks. So they're trading 18, um, they're moving up to 13. So they're going to trade 15, but they move up. And then you're giving up a third, a fourth and two fifths. And you're going to get Jordan Davis and AJ Brown. If you just combine the two trades and look at the totality yeah. of what they gave out versus what they came in, that is an absolute fucking win. And I think all three of us would agree that if, if I said that to you before the draft started, we all would have taken that. Yes. 100%. And the thing, the big thing for me is, is not only the trade for AJ Brown, but the contract uh, extension that they gave him four years, 100 million, 57 guaranteed. The timing here is important, right? Because you look at Devontae Smith, who was just drafted last year. Well, now he's got four years on that rookie deal, deal still with that, that extra option year, which we would assume at this point is, is all but in the bank. This is also kind of a shit or get off the pot year for for Jalen Hurts, right? If if you're going to move forward with him, hey, look, you've got two great wide receivers. If you're not going to move forward with him, either you uh, have an attractive uh, uh, wide receiver room for a free agent quarterback to come to, or you take one of those two um, first round draft picks that you have next year uh, that that you didn't have to spend on any of these trades so far. Which great job by Howie there. Uh, to move up in the draft to get your guy who's who's going to be a rookie quarterback next year, and whether that's Bryce Young or, or, or uh, CJ Stroud, whoever, and and you then have a quarterback that's five years under control, so you have a, a, a huge amount of of super cap friendly uh, uh, space here for for the Eagles to be really successful with really good players. And the, the fact that the Eagles too, like they have they had cap space left over, right? So they were able to fill that with AJ Brown and they're able to then front load a lot of that stuff. You're going to have like Jordan Davis, honestly. Um, I, I, and I believe this. And for the record, I've been very honest about Jordan Davis this whole time. Right. So I had mixed feelings when they traded up. I wanted the Eagles to take Kyle Hamilton. Cause in my opinion, I said it on the pod, Kyle Hamilton, I think is arguably the best player in this draft. But when you want to talk about ceiling, when you see his athleticism, when you see the stuff that pops, and by the way, fuck Booger McFarland and fuck ESPN for the only player in the first yeah. round that they don't show highlights for is Jordan Davis. So that Booger McFarland can feel better about himself for being a, a, an average NFL interior defensive lineman for a few years. <laughs> like you're seriously going to ignore the fact it was that an he, LSU. Was, <laughs> he was arguably the most dominant defensive player in the entire country last and then all they did was talk shit and on him in showed, the game against alabama showed, or just standing up yeah. and they only showed they showed one highlight from two different angles they did that was the yeah. crazy part it's like from the you're SEC gonna show championship game they yeah didn't and show it was like, dominating in the national championship game and also it was the a whole quick point pass that, too and not only was it a quick <laughs> well it was quick but at the same time that was after a long drive 
where they were running no huddle. Like that was not a situation. Like, yeah, defensive tackles that are 350 pounds. Guess what? They're going to get tired at the end of a drive. Fletcher Cox. Another trade. (laughs) Fletcher Cox. Oh, the New York Jets trade up again to the third round. So I don't know who they're taking here. By the way, Tyler Lindenbaum just went to the Baltimore Ravens. Excellent. Excellent draft. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, that is. Ravens having a fantastic first round here. They move off of the Hollywood Brown, which we will, you know, it's a concern talking about who are they going to have here yeah. as pass catchers for Lamar Jackson. Uh, but remember, they're getting, remember what they did last year. They didn't have any other running backs, right? So at least they're getting, you know, their first, second, and third string running backs back this year. Yeah. Uh, and they still have Lamar Jackson. Uh, you still have Mark Andrews, who's in his prime. Uh, you get another guy there to protect him, who is likely to be a, a, a perennial stud. Uh, you have, Kyle Hamilton, who's going to be another stud. I mean, two of the biggest locks in this draft in the first round to me were both Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum. So the fact that they're getting both of those guys is an absolute win. I agree. I, just, I can't get over this for the Eagles. Jordan Davis, well, the weight thing is a concern. I get it. And I've been very honest about it. But I've also been honest in saying that if his weight is under control, if he's playing at that 320 to 330 range, he is going to be – an impact player immediately in a position where there just aren't guys who there's, there's a handful of guys who can do that. And there's no one in the NFL at his size, at his weight, who can move the way he can. And so I'm not saying he's going to come in and immediately be Calais Campbell or Aaron Donald or Fletcher Cox or any of those guys, but he can come in, learn from guys like Fletcher Cox. Yeah. And and, just huge. And he's got leaders. I mean, Brandon Graham coming back. And also I was saying this to Scotty before you hopped on even Vito, right? I totally forgot that Hassan Riddick signed with the Eagles. Like I, that totally blipped my mm-hmm. mind. So you're adding another outside pass rusher. They got Kazira White, who was a great pick. And as we stand right now, there's only been one linebacker taken so far. And it, it's been uh, a guy that no one thought he was uh, White, the linebacker from Georgia, not Nicobe Dean and not Devin Lloyd. So there's a chance that we have a, a linebacker if someone like that fell to us. And there's also a lot of talk. The Eagles brought in Christian Harris, who's the linebacker from Alabama, who I also am very high on. Uh, he's yeah, you like liked a, him during the season. I loved Christian yeah. Harris. And he's a yeah. N'Kobe Dean like light. You know, he's undersized like N'Kobe Dean. He just doesn't quite have that same. But he can fly. Burst, yeah. And he's he could be a really good player they target in the second round. Yeah, I mean, I think the Eagles are having a good draft, but I, I think – Honestly, some of the other major headlines that I think we have yeah, to we can move on, on because I, I just is... I'm in that fan. <laughs> yeah, I know. Of just like I yeah. what is it's happening. All right. You can live there tonight. You're allowed. Yeah. Like, you have but to understand how low I my do... expectations were for this day coming in with the Sixers and the Eagles and all this stuff. So I'm just yeah. like on cloud nine. So let where do you want to go next? Vito? I want to hit Kenny Pickett in the quarterback situation, yes. because what if people don't know, this is the, the first quarterback taken was Kenny Pickett. Pittsburgh to Pittsburgh, people speculated on it. It's great. They're like, he already knows his way to the practice facility, right? He knows like everything yeah, about because he's he played there, there for 12 yeah. years. Well, well, and the point is, is that they're they were making the comp that um when Ben Roethlisberger was a young QB, his offensive coordinator was his college coach, like was now um Kenny Pickett's college coach. So it, there was a there was a whole aspect of the fact that like he's gonna get him ready, he's gonna be ready yeah, for this. Pat Narduzzi was or I'm sorry, not, not no, no, no. Um, the the new or the the coordinator for um the Steelers, I messed it up. Was Matt Ben Canada. Roethlisberger's I think QB coach way back gotcha. in the day. Okay, and so the same guy who got Ben Roethlisberger ready, he was the youngest guy to win a Super Bowl, right? Like Kenny Pickett is 24, he's worked with them, but the point is, is that like this is going to be crazy for the Steelers because now you know which way you're going. You got 
Mitch Trubisky in the offseason, but now you have a competition here. So this is going to be interesting for you. And on top of all of this, this is the latest and like since I can remember in my life that a quarterback has gone in the first round. And then they pull up the stat. It was the first time since 1997. Um, and in 1997, someone was taken at like 26 or 27. I, wow. This is crazy. I feel like in the modern era for the value at quarterback and how much contracts blow up, the fact that we've only had one quarterback taken so far, and it was at 20. It, it, it is unbelievably surprising. The other one, huge drop for uh, Jermaine Johnson, who a lot of people thought could have been a top 10 pick. Um, he yeah. has just been selected by the New York Jets at number 26. Uh, I think that is an absolute steal. The Jets are having a killer draft. Yes. Uh, we're, we're, you know, who they take? Uh, they took. So sauce. they have, they, they had sauce. sauce. And then Garrett they Wilson. Garrett, Garrett Wilson, Wilson. And now Jermaine Johnson. Those are all three guys that I thought could have been top 10 picks. Those might be three of the best guys. Like, yeah. Top five talents. Um, un, yeah. Unbelievable draft by the New York Jets. And I'm not surprised. Joe Douglas is one of the best and most underappreciated front office guys in all of the NFL. Uh, but to your point about Kenny Pickett, I love the pick. I love what the Steelers did. There was no rush. They let all of the craziness and everyone else trading out for guys that they wanted. Uh, obviously, we saw two established wide receivers get traded between A.J. Brown and Hollywood Brown, ironically, both of them with the last name Brown. Uh, and, and now we have, you know, Kenny Pickett following you at 20, right? And you look at that roster. It was a playoff team a year ago, by, albeit by the, the skin of their teeth. Uh, but we're talking about a legitimate playoff roster with a really good defense with skill guys already there with a good running back. They're not great on the offensive line. They added a couple of free agents that aren't going to make them over, you know, improve overnight necessarily from what they were to where they're going to be this year, but they will be better than they were last year. But you have Najee, uh, Najee Harris to kind of burden the load a little bit. And honestly, we saw it with Aiden Hutchinson going number two, right? Like how crazy is like, we, we're on this pod now. We've been talking for 15, 20 minutes. We haven't talked about number one and number two, Trayvon Walker and Nate Hutchinson, other than Scotty briefly, you know, glanced over it. But that's because, like, the re- like that wasn't interesting, right? But there was yeah. something cool to see that, AJ, you know, Aiden Hutchinson is going to Detroit, mm-hmm. right? And there's it's cool to me to see Kenny Pickett go to Pittsburgh. I think it's a really good fit in that offense, the upside's obviously not there with Kenny Pickett. We talked about it, but he's mobile. He's got a good arm. The, obviously, the hand size things I don't like to freak out about, but the dude doesn't have a terrible – I mean, the fumbles were a little bit of a concern in college, but he was also playing at Pitt, and the majority of his first three years, his offensive line was dog shit. So I don't even put all of that on him. If His fumbles last year and his senior season weren't that bad. Uh, Kenny Pickett had unbelievable numbers. He's accurate. He gets the ball out quick, and he's got good wide receivers. And I think the other thing, too, is I think we've drastically undervalued what Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth can do because he had a quarterback with a noodle for an arm for the last two years, right? So we kind of forget how good those guys can be with someone who at least is competent enough at throwing a football and isn't 40 years old. No offense to Big Ben, but let's just be honest. 40 years old for Big Ben is not 40 years old for Tom Brady in the way that those two take care of their bodies. Yeah. I don't know. I just, to me, it's a cool story. I guess if you're a Pittsburgh guy, remove your bias for a second. Yeah. (laughs) For a second, Scott. It's, it's cool. Uh, But like, you have so much more pressing needs. You really, you, you invested all of that capital into drafting Najee Harris 
uh, last year, and you're just content with running him into the ground like you did with Jerome Bettis, like you did with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, like, I, I just don't get it. Like, draft the guys that are going to protect those assets and, instead of reaching for a, a quarterback. Play the I don't, for him? Yeah. Mitch it doesn't matter at that point. You know, like, call this year a wash if you really want to. I still think you're on the fringe of a playoff team, even with Trubisky as your quarterback. But, like, you need somebody to block for them. But, I mean, yeah, but you, if you think you can get a franchise quarterback, they, they got the first quarterback. They got the quarterback of their choice out of the class at 20. And that's it's fine. The guy if that's who, your guy, that's fine. But yeah. you're wrong. I'm sorry. But I but you don't but that's well, the thing, Scott. You don't know that. Yeah. You you don't know that. You may think that, but you don't know that. Right. And the thing is, is you just said like invest all that capital. What did they do? They didn't trade up to get Najee Harris. They didn't trade, they didn't do what the 49ers no, but did. They're gonna draft. run him into the ground. Yeah, but what well, and is that I would rather have someone run into the ground than a quarterback who didn't play at all his rookie year. Yeah, what are they going to do in four years when Najee Harris is broken? He's got one leg and they say, oh, go to to the Jets. Scott, they'll draft another running back because that's what everyone in the NFL does. That's not just Le'Veon played for six years in Pittsburgh and was a stud for six years. Jerome Bettis played till he was late in his career. So I don't know. That comp does not make sense. That line was incredible back in the day for for the Steelers. Yeah. He played late in his career. but And I get it. The offensive line's not good in Pittsburgh, but at the same time, you have skill positions, right? The offense, Mac Canada is, it, it's a screen offense. It's a West Coast offense. It's get the ball out quick and get the ball into your playmaker's hands. We're not talking about like ground and pound. We're not talking about like what your Niners do. And to be honest, the Niners, I, I would rather do what Pittsburgh did and let someone like Kenny Pickett fall to me than do what San Francisco did, which is waste first round picks and future first round picks for a dude who's sitting on my fucking bench. Because at least yeah. they let Najee Harris come to them. And I thought that was a reach at the time. But we see Najee Harris is a stud. He didn't get hurt last year. He looked just as spry in the playoffs as he did in week one. He's well, young. And I think the other thing for, for Pittsburgh, like I couldn't believe some of the, the linemen that were taken in the mid round. Like I feel like it was literally for like 10 to 12 picks straight. It was linemen and wide receiver. Like we yeah. had two guards go. I guess the only one that exception is – uh is Hamilton, but like you, we saw green go to the, the guard, go to uh, Texas A&M or Kenyon green. Yes. Kenyon green. And then Zion Johnson, and Zion Johnson, yeah. which was a great pick. I mean, I was so oh, yeah. mad as a Broncos fan, the chargers, this is a great move picking another guard to protect your assets to just, well, I said in the mock, yeah. yeah, you're just building up your team. And it's like an, it's a thing that no one's going to notice and circle and say they won the draft. But at the same time, they're doing the next logical thing to making their team even better. They souped up the defense with money. They're souping up the mm-hmm. offensive line with draft picks. Mm-hmm. I love their move here. Yeah. yeah. And I'll say this. I was I was surprised that LA went with uh that went with Zion Johnson as opposed to Penning. I thought I thought they would go because Penning can slide in. Like if you want yeah. to, if you need him to play guard, he could play guard, right? Um I thought that was a, I thought that was a really interesting move uh, on their part, and I think they're just talking about hey, like, and I get it, the interior like that's a huge hole that teams don't like safety, interior offensive linemen, like especially the guard position are the most overlooked positions. And you look at a team like Baltimore that's not that far away that had terrible injury luck, and they go out and get arguably one of the top five players in the entire draft in Kyle Hamilton. That's a fucking awesome move. You look at what the Chargers did because I like Zion Johnson better than I like Kenyon Green. So they go out and get arguably the best player at that position mm-hmm. to hop in and be an interior offensive lineman. That's going to help Justin Herbert a lot. Like 
the value of the Eagles going out and getting Brandon Brooks the year they won the Super Bowl was massive. Like you can't (laughs) undervalue that stuff. It's just teams typically don't value it in the draft. And that's part of what I kind of love about this year is that because there wasn't as many quarterbacks and because we had that run of wide receivers, it forced teams to start to value positions in the first round that they normally wouldn't because the talent is right there and it fits what they needed at the same time. Because normally it's like, oh, well, the talent is at cornerback, it's at wide receiver, it's at edge rusher, which there's plenty of that. But because all those guys got taken off the board so quick, the teams that were like in the middle, the Baltimore's, the Chargers, teams like that, they were like, all right, well, we need this thing. And also because of this weird draft, that also happens to be where our board's falling out. So we can take Zion Johnson. We can take Kyle Hamilton. I mean, the, the Baltimore Ravens getting Kyle Hamilton at 14 is absolutely the steal of the draft. And you said it, Vito. He is an absolutely perfect fit for what the Ravens do. Like, unbelievably perfect fit for and what to the co- Ravens do. And to your point, getting Linderbaum, like, that's an absolute steal yeah. on the and offensive side. It's just so – what an incredible draft. That's a solid draft. That's yeah. like – that's exactly – we'll wait years from now and, and – Hopefully we're still right, but those two seem like they're sure things. So Jaguars pick is in at 27. Yeah. It is, and it's one of my favorite players in the draft. Yep. Uh, it is. It's a great pick from Jacksonville. Uh, Scotty, I know you're a little bit behind his history. No, yeah, is, that's a huge you, pick. Devin Utah Lloyd. linebacker, Devin Lloyd to Jacksonville. Loving Jackson. I mean, look, the, and we can talk about this now. The, the Devon or the, uh, I'm all my names are getting all of the Trayvon Watt. Billy. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. My brain is literal mush right now. Um, what the Jaguars have done here in their first two picks, I'm loving, right? Yeah. It's definitely a risk not going with Aiden Hutchinson, right? I And I get it, but I kind of love it given when you, like when you look at their defensive line, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, when you look at their defensive line and you see Josh Sweat on the other side, you already have a little bit of stability there. So why not take a risk on someone who has a higher upside? And, and I will say that I think definitely a higher upside than Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, and then you go out and with a dude like um, Devin Lloyd, who I've talked about in this podcast, the instincts are unbelievable. The athleticism is off the charts. His comp, you know, that everyone's saying is, is Darius Leonard. And, and again, that's lofty expectations. But when you look at, and I still don't love, like I would have rather seen them draft. Honestly, I would probably would have rather seen them draft Evan Neal, number one overall. I just would, because Same. to me, there is no asset on your team more important than Trevor Lawrence. And I'm sorry, Cam Robinson is not fulfilling that. No, um, and, and Trayvon Walker is good. And he's could be like, he, he's going to contribute and he's going to be a player for them for a while. They do need pressure on the defensive side. But to your point, the offensive line is where it should have been. But I do love the follow-up trading back up in the first year, getting Devin yeah. Lloyd. I mean, that's a great pick for them. He fell to 27. That To me, that's surprising. That's, Yeah. I, I don't understand that at too. all. I'll tell you what, New England's picking at 29. That's Nicobe. If, if that's not Nicobe Dean, I would be shocked. Nicobe <laughs> Dean is absolutely like Bill Belichick has wet dreams about Nicobe Dean. <laughs> like, I, I, he, cause he, and like, I have wet dreams about Nicobe Dean tape. You can admit, dude's an absolute it's freak of nature. Incredible. He's unbelievable. And the fact that he's going to be the third linebacker taking out when he was arguably the best player on the best college defense arguably of all time yeah. <laughs> in college football. And he's, he's a specimen too. I mean, I, and I get he's undersized, but this is the thing like NFL front offices outthink themselves. Like Nicobe Dean's just going to be good. 
Like you don't have to worry about it. Why, why are you worried about this? Nicobe Nicobe yeah. is going to step in and be a stud for you immediately. He, you know, is he going to be Roquan Smith and be this unbelievable physical presence? No, probably not. Does he have the flexibility and, and stuff that Devin Lloyd and like Darius Leonard's and those guys have where they can cover and do it? No, but is he going to be the heart and soul in the middle of your defense for a decade if you want him to? Yeah, he fucking will. And he's going to make sure everybody's in the right place. I, I didn't get why the other kid, White, from Georgia went ahead of him, but this is that whole traits versus production versus tape, and NFL front offices, you know, just absolutely psych themselves out. All right, um, let's try to add a little bit of stability to this pod. Uh, I love, right. by the way, side note, uh, they, they showed the Jacksonville fans out to draft. It just looks like Jacksonville. Like, everything you would expect, uh, it's Jacksonville. <laughs> you guys ever watch uh, The Good Place? Yes. TV show? Yeah, it makes me think of the dude in there who's from Jacksonville who's like a Jaguars fan. He comes in like all painted out with a giant like foam Jaguar head on. It's, it's beautiful. Um, There's a lady in a Jaguar print uh, dress. It was nuts. Who who was the draft pick that you saw today, tonight, that raised your eyebrow the most? That like that you went, huh? Like, I, I don't know if I really like that one. I would say, well, I was thinking what you were saying is like, raise your eyebrow, like, oh, here's the first time it deviated. And I think. Well, just um, like a pick that you didn't like, and it doesn't, I mean, you might like them or whatever, but like, <laughs> I think that's kind of what's weird about this draft is like, there weren't a whole lot of them other than I felt like there might've been some reaches for wide receiver. Yeah. But that run was crazy. That's a run like we've never seen. So I get yeah. it. Um, but honestly, like to me, again, we, we talked about cross and we'll see what happens there, but I, I think another one that was surprising. I, I didn't, I liked it. It was surprising. And I liked it was the Stingley junior pick at three. Yeah. I just didn't think that was going to happen, but that was surprising. And like, a, Oh, nice. I, I think you're right. I think this whole draft has been pretty good. And then we saw a little run. At, we had McDuffie go at 21, Elon go at 23. A lot of corners came out. I mean, two of the top four picks were corners. And I think in general, I think that's the theme I'm surprised with is how many corners were taken with wide receivers. And you look at like how important the NFL is valuing the passing game and what that draft and, and how valuable it is. And even in now in high school, because you remember when NFL started passing a lot, high schools, a lot of high schools still run a lot, but now you're seeing so much talent go to those two positions. And I think that's, what's been surprising to me is how many wide receivers and corners were taken so high and well, so Vito, often. And you sent us this text and, and it, it was so accurate, right? It, well, it was just interesting to me. It was obviously accurate because you, you pulled the, the stat, but it was the first time in 30 years that the first five picks in the NFL draft were all defensive players. Yeah. And I, I think that speaks to a huh. couple of things. And my dad even made this point. who's a casual NFL fan. You know, I think that speaks to a, like where the game is going, like where the modern NFL is as a whole. I think it's pretty representative of that. Right. But then also, this draft, like, I just, I think this draft was so difficult to evaluate, you know, even the anonymous surveys that go out to all the GMs around, you know, like a week or two before the draft, the way that they rank the players, you know, like, Oh, how do you rank your, your top five wide receivers? There was no consensus number one in any position. And Derek Stingley jr. Is a perfect example of that. Like, I think everybody fell in love with sauce Gardner because of the length and that he didn't give up any touchdowns and there's tons of love. And I'm a little higher on, on, on sauce than I am Derek Stingley, but I have them both as like top, top tier prospects. And I think they're right. both elite. And so it just comes down to which one did you like better? I, I thought it was interesting for Houston to make that trade. And then, you know, they turn around and then get the interior offensive lineman. And 
I think Kenyon Green, for to answer my own question I posed to you guys, that was the one to me that I went, Yeah, that seems high. Most people had yeah. him as a late first round. A lot of people had him as a second rounder. Um, could be very good, but you don't have an offensive tackle on either side of the ball. You don't have a center. What made you fall in love with Kenyon Green at a guard at 14 when we're still talking about or at 15, we're still talking about guys like Jahan Dotson's after him. Um, Trevor Penning, I would rather have. Uh, and then if, you know, they already had the cornerback. So Tyler Smith, even the tackle, like if I was going to reach on somebody, I'd reach on someone like that. Tyler Linderbaum, I would rather have instead of Kenyon. Yeah. Who again, could be a really good, or Kenyon Green, who could be a really, really good pro. And I hope he is. But I felt like at 15 to take a guard when it wasn't a position of need. And it also probably wasn't even the best player on the big board seemed like a weird draft pick yeah I, I i don't love it either especially the value of that position and honestly i even like zion johnson more but i don't know what um for a team that has so many needs that's not an that's a need you could have addressed later in the draft and not had as big of a drop-off as others right for a team that needs to build skill in every position guard is just probably not one that you can do it. That's, that's a luxury that the chargers can afford, right? Cause they have talent everywhere. That's not one the Texans can afford. Mm-hmm. I think when you look yeah. back at this one, that's, that's it, the reach that's to your point, like wide receivers were reached on, but luckily like there was a bunch of them. Kenny green was the first guard taken. And at 15, I just don't think that's where the value was. I also don't think well, especially the in the middle in draft. Like I, I don't, no, I, I think I don't Johnson was a better guard. Especially with the, the Texans making that move in the middle of the wide receiver run when the only guy they have to throw to is Brandon Cooks and he might not even be there so yeah the, um so just a quick draft update we just had Devontae Watt go mm-hmm. the the defense oh, wow. Georgia to Green, Green Bay, Bay which is a good fit and then I love this one the the Patriots are on the clock and we've finally come to the point in the draft where the Patriots from San Francisco through Miami and Kansas city are now on the clock. That's the kind of night that we've had tonight. <laughs> well, and I saw field Yates tweet this out too. The Eagles took Carson Wentz, turned it into a future first round pick, got another first round pick from it. And then turned that initial first round pick into AJ fucking Brown. <laughs> that is middle name. Yes, it is. AJ fucking Brown. <laughs> I I can't believe so so right now how about this Green Bay has two players from that Georgia defense Quay Walker not Quay White by the way I was wrong about the last name I apologize Quay Walker was the mm-hmm. inside linebacker from Georgia taken who was the opposite uh Nicobe Dean and then now they just draft Devontae Wyatt so the Green Bay I mean, Packers that, yeah that was the best defense we've ever seen so like why wouldn't you oh you wait that's right because you want to make Aaron Rodgers happy and, and you know what too you can't even fault him here for them for not drafting a, a wide receiver. Actually, you know what? Yeah, I have a theory. I have a theory about this, okay? okay. It, it And it didn't matter who they got at wide receiver. I think they're going to end up taking one or two of these guys. At, at, like George Pickens is still sitting there uh, in round two, and I think he's, he's going to be a better wide receiver than people give him credit for. But besides that, I think we're now at a point where Aaron Rodgers is saying, and this is my theory, and I'm sticking to it, I can do it with whoever the hell I want. Devontae Adams be damned. Like, this is my team. Well, and there's still a lot of really good wide receivers available that you can get in the second round. And that is where, like, the first round wide receivers, yeah, they haven't drafted them. But if you look at the run of guys in the second round that they took, whether it was Randall Cobbs 
whether it was the Jordy Nelsons, you know, even going back to like Donald Driver, which was, you know, back in the Favre eras, right? Mm -hmm. But if you look over the years at like where the Packers have been successful drafting wide receivers, it's been in that second, third, fourth round. Uh, I also don't think they are done. I, I would be surprised if San Francisco would be willing to deal Debo to uh, Green Bay. Don't but do like, that to me, Jeff. Like, Come also, on. But at the same time, I'm just sitting here thinking like nobody thought A.J. Brown was going to be available. No one right. thought that that was even a, a possibility, right? And then all of a sudden on draft night, he is. Now, granted, the Eagles had the asset in order to get A.J. Brown. So who knows what the Packers would have to give up. But I also think there's a lot of validity to what you're saying, Scotty, in that he's Aaron Rodgers, right? You have Lazard back. They have Sammy Watkins. You know, they, they have some pieces there. Um, and maybe the way the draft fell out, you know, Christian Harris is still on the board. There's still going to be other, like I'm trying to pull up the best available list here because you still have guys like Sky Moore, uh, for, mm -hmm. who's one of the best names in, in all of God. You have John Mechie still. You still have Pickens. You have Alec Pierce from uh, Cincinnati, uh, David Bell from Purdue, like Tyquan Thornton out of Baylor. Like there's a lot of really yeah. good pass catchers. Yeah still available that if they want to end up getting somebody a little bit later on second rounder and they can go get two studs who played on a championship defense. And again, one of the best defenses in college football, even though I think they picked the wrong linebacker, you know, and, and to be fair, like, <laughs> like why, like Devonte why like uh, is a, is a stud, right? So like, I get that your interior defensive line, but Quay Walker, he's definitely a traits guy over production guy. Right. But, no, Kobe Dean had better production, but he also had better tape. Quay Walker, the size, the speed, that grades better on the NFL level than what you will get out of Nicobe Dean. And, and at he, least from a combine only standpoint, I still would take Nicobe Dean. We all know how I feel about that. Did but, you see how quickly the Patriots pick has come in before oh yeah. they went to commercial? Oh yeah. It, it, I don't even think the clock started. I think, I think it just went straight. <laughs> I think they just changed whoever the pick was in from then went from Green yeah. Bay to the Patriots. Um, all right. So let me ask you guys this, as we sit here right now, we're on P Patriots are number 29. So we have mm -hmm. after this pick, we have three more, four left here in the first round, including the Patriots, which uh, is in from what we've seen thus far. There's obviously picks that I think we all like, right? We all like Aiden Hutchinson. I think we all like sauce Gardner, cave on some people. What was the sneaky under the radar pick that like kind of got your draft juices flung? You're like, Ooh, like, Damn, that's good. But yet all of the trades and everything kind of overshadowed it. I really like the Dotson pick. I, and I think there's a little Homer in me, but Dotson going to um, the commanders, the whatevers, the Washington, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Uh, to, to go on the opposite side of, of um, Terry McLaurin is incredible. Now you have two guys who are just, I feel like stud receivers. And for my take, Terry McLaurin, I think, is underrated, and I think he's gonna. He is now like in a position where I would equate him as the next, like one of the best wide receivers out of the Big Ten in the last three or four years, right? I think and, he's the best wide receiver. Out of yeah, the Big Ten. and 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 wow. so like, well, in the last three or four years, yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, think so. That's what I mean. Like in the last, yeah. who else is even in the conversation? You got two that just got drafted right behind him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't know what they're gonna do. I mean, and, like, and and I think the point is that you pair him with another great one and Dodson, who I absolutely love. And uh, I really believe that this is going to give Carson Wentz a chance to like, this is now like giving him an opportunity to say, it's your offense, you go play. And if you can't make it in this almost similar to the Eagles, like if we need to move on from you, we have a, a investment at the like actual skill position. That's going to help a quarterback. So if someone comes free, they'll come here. 
I uh, yeah, I just hate that it's with Washington. <laughs> like, yeah, but but it doesn't. I mean, it's still it just. I feel like a great move at that at that position. It was yeah. earlier than I thought. Oh yeah. And then the other ones, uh, Jeff, that really get like. I think right around that point was, which was great, was the Hamilton pick. It was just yeah. late, and it was just like, oh, let's go! Like here we go! Like this yeah. is a great pick. I, I think so. Just update everybody: the New England Patriots do what they do a lot in the first round, which is draft somebody that literally no one knows who it is. Uh, Cole, a strange, strange pick, yeah. Uh, guard strange. out of Chattanooga, uh, FCS guy, interior offensive lineman. Um, he was the best. It looks as though I don't know much about. It, I'll be honest. Uh, two-time, basically blocker of the year, which is like the FCS award for like the best offensive lineman at the FCS level, back-to-back years. Uh, that's saying something. There's definitely some decent linemen. Interesting, interesting pick there. I don't think if you had him going in the first round in your lottery pool, you probably made some good money. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're right about the Kyle Hamilton trade uh, or pick rather. That uh, it was a no-brainer, and it fits what they do so well. Um, and especially in a group that's been banged up a bunch. And you, again, you look at the guys that they're going to be going up against the wide receivers in Pittsburgh, obviously Mark Cooper now. Um, and, and those guys in Cincinnati too, like just helping yourself back there, but he can also play the wrong. I mean, I just love Kyle Hamilton. I just, I love him so much. He's going to be so, so good in the NFL and he's a perfect player for Baltimore, but going to the Jahan Dotson trade or pick. Uh, oh, wow. Kansas city immediately back out. And we have Goodell back out here too. Um, Kansas city oh, yeah. selects. George Karloftis, defensive end out of Purdue. Uh, great pick. Uh, adds some depth there. So now we have Kansas City picking up uh, Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis, adding some young talent there to the defense. But uh, going to the Jahan Dotson thing, I-, I think it's an awesome pairing with Terry McLaurin. I think I think that combination is really, really good. I love Terry McLaurin. I love Jahan Dotson. I- I've been saying that all year. Like in college football, I, I was a big – especially I-, I saw him play in, in person. I watched him torch Maryland for like, I think he had three touchdowns that day. He was an yeah, absolute problem. He did. <laughs> and he, he was a monster, right? So, mm-hmm. and he's not just the deep threat. He's better than KJ Hamler. He's a more complete player. So I like that combination, but I did have this question or at least this thought. Cause when the AJ Brown trade came in, I, I leaned over to my mom and I said, how pissed do you think Carson Wentz is right now? seeing all these weapons around Jalen Hurts, whether it was Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, you know, Devontae and A.J. Brown. But then you look over to Washington, you're like, yeah, but they got Terry McLaurin and they also now have Jahan Dotson and they also have Logan Thomas at tight end and they also have Antonio Gibson in the backfield. But it's Washington, I, like, come on. For sure, but just but also, still. that aside, which, yeah. core, which core would you bet on? Because I still think it's Philly – just because oh, yeah. of the proven commodity of AJ mm-hmm. Brown. I just think AJ Brown's better than Terry McLaurin. I don't think it's a huge gap. So then it's like, well, do you like Jahan Dotson or Devonte Smith better? Do you like Dallas Goddard, Logan Thomas better? I just think at that point I'm leaning more towards Philly, but yep. the point I'm making is just that there's no more, like there's no more excuses and credit to Washington, right? Because mm-hmm. if there's one thing Carson Wentz needs, it's a fucking confidence boost. Right. And showing him like, Hey, we drafted and maybe even reached on a dude at 16 to draft this guy who, who could be a really, really special player. We're giving you tools to be our guy. Now go out there and prove it. I think, yeah. well, I, what I love about it too, is just the fact that like, this is a move in the right direction. I, I feel confident more and more confident in what the commander, the whatever is the Washington whatever's are doing every year. And 
I think that has a lot to do with their coaching and they've been a really unstable franchise in the last 20 years, to be honest, but this just seems like a move in the right direction. Um, I like both, like, I like what they're doing here in the draft and that's saying something usually with them. (laughs) And I think that's the stability that comes with Ron Rivera. Exactly. You know, and I think Ron Rivera, Lord knows Daniel Snyder's far away from this draft, which is probably the first time it's happened in a while where Daniel Snyder's not going to be super involved with how this draft is going to go. And I also think that Ron Rivera is the kind of coach that you only bring him in if you're going to let him be the guy who's running the fucking show. And I, I love that. I, I love what Washington did. But the other team. I, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say the other team who I absolutely just love, and we, we, we briefed on them earlier, but I think when you look back now that the draft is almost the first round's almost over, right? I, I think you can kind of start looking around and, who's made what picks and the team I think that improved the most in the last couple hours um, is actually the New York jets. And, and I mean, you talk about sauce Garrett Wilson, two elite talents at, on those spots. And then Jermaine, Jermaine Johnson, Johnson at 26. That's I mean, that's just a really, I mean, they were literally connected with him with one of the top two picks they had in the, in the first 10 picks. I, 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 the fact that Jermaine Johnson went 26 is mind blowing to me. And, and I don't know exactly what it was. You know what this draft feels like? It feels like, and I said this before, I think it made it more interesting to us, but I think more, I, I think we will look back on this draft and say that more teams fucked it up than helped themselves. Because it feels like a draft where every team is drafting for need. And what is like one of the golden rules about draft when you talk to the guys who really know the draft, right? Be careful. Best player available. Be careful when you draft for need alone. And there are situations where you do that and it works out. Like I think Trevor Penning going to uh, from Northern Iowa going to New Orleans and them getting Chris Olave. Like I think the Saints crushed it. Yeah. I think adding Chris Olave and and people are talking about Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas hasn't played football in two years. Why are we pretending like Michael Thomas is going to step on the field and be a good football player? That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, he, could he come back and be the dude who who broke the receptions record? Maybe, but that was three years ago, and he's played three football yeah. games since then. So I I have no faith in that. But Chris Olave is going to step on the field with Traquan Smith, with the guys that they've had there who have been good players, and will immediately help that locker room. Yeah, right? they won. Hey, yeah. Jameis has thrown for five thousand yards before with these two. If Tom, if Thomas comes back, he could do it again with this wide receiver. Maybe, before. but and, I, I, and then to your third option, honestly. And, and then to also like keep that investment in mind and then draft Trevor Penning yeah. at the, at the, in their second pick in the first round. And it was like, that's a, a no brain. He's a mauler. Like, yeah. and, and, and he'll be able to help protect, not only protect Jameis, but like give him time to pass those guys. Um, so well, yeah. And, I don't, and like that, the Saints are going to be a team that I don't think anyone's talking about tomorrow. No, I don't think I, I, people no. will mention it and it'll get brushed over. But Trevor Penning could be a long-term answer at left tackle. He reminded me a lot. I said it earlier in the week. He reminds me a lot of Rashawn Slater, you know, a guy who – because remember, too, Rashawn Slater didn't play in 2020 during the COVID year, and that's why he fell. Otherwise, it would have been a really tough conversation between he and, and uh, Penny Sewell. But Penny Sewell played, and that was like a big thing that the Lions wanted to go up and get him. I, I think the Saints made out like bandits yeah, in this. I absolutely right? and, agree. And the fact yeah. that they traded a future first-rounder, and yeah, it looks like they're rolling with Jameis. They have Andy Dalton there. 
you go out and you get a sure thing in Chris Olave, who, as you said a couple of weeks ago, Vito, reminded you of like the Devontae Smith of, of this draft. And I think that's spot on because like, Devontae Smith, did he light the world on fire? Was he Jamar Chase last year? No, but Jamar Chase also shattered every rookie wide receiver yeah. number that existed. <laughs> yeah. So like if we're, if we're talking about like comparisons to normal rookie wide receivers, Devontae Smith was sick. Yep. And the wide receiver core that's in New Orleans is better than the one that Devontae was heading to in uh, Philly last year. So already we're talking about like adding more assets to that. Cause I, I really like Traquan Smith. Traquan Smith showed flashes of being really good. Uh, Marquez Callaway showed flashes of being really good. Yeah. Right. So you're adding just another weapon. Who's more polished. Who's going to be able to get separation, get open. And then you're adding a guy to help Jameis stay upright. Who's going to help prevent the ACL type injuries yeah. that we saw from him last year. I think the saints made out as a team that no one's going to talk, talk about as much but they had a hell of a draft Completely and it's very, great. It's, it's very rare that you mortgage a future first round pick and you still end up hitting on both of them. And I think there's a really high likelihood that they did that without having to maneuver because Alave felled them, you know, Drake yeah. London going at eight Garrett Wilson <clears throat> going at 10. That was another one that was like the second Garrett Wilson was picked. The pick was already in for New Orleans. And, and, and that was the thing is like, you know, even in the mock, we were talking about like, uh, maybe Olave falls to the saints, maybe, or Garrett Wilson or, 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 uh, and they trade saints up, had right? to tra- Well, the saints yeah. had to tra- trade up. Exactly. And that's, that's my point is that, uh, what they had to do was, was put themselves in position for that rather than, uh, sit back and, and hope that they get a, one of those guys to follow them. They clearly had their guy and wanted to trade up to go get him. What? This pick is about to be nasty too, by the way, for the Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals have selected Daxton Hill safety from Cincinnati. Nah, it's going to be a Georgia defenseman. Guaranteed. Yeah. He's Mich- Michigan safety, slot corner, versatile oh. defender, Daxton Hill to Cincinnati. Great pick. Yeah. Oh, that's yes. going to help. That's going to help them a lot. I love the that. Big time. Them. The um the other team I wanted to to mention here, and I, and I think one aspect of the draft that we had talked about in the preview, but just to remind everybody, before this draft started, eight teams did not have first round picks, and then eight teams had to, at least or had two round two first round picks. And the mm-hmm. point of why I'm bringing it up is when we talk about teams who improve, there are drastic improvements this year across a smaller amount of teams in the NFL. So that's also what's really unique about it. You, there's a lot of teams with two picks. There's a lot of team. There, there's one with three picks, and like just to see that that huge shift. And another one that I thought moved up and aggressively moved up was the Lions to go back up to twelve, mm-hmm. and they ended up getting in on that wide receiver run with Jamison Williams, who I get. They're looking at him like they probably were looking at him in some ways at two, like right. And then the injury happens, and then they're probably saying, okay, well they get Aiden Hutchinson, they get their guy. And then they also get arguably the best wide receiver weapon in the draft at 12. And yes, they had to move up yeah. and they gave up a decent amount, but still like that. I mean, they if, gave up a lot. They gave up 34 and 36. And I think a fourth rounder as well. They gave up three picks, including thir- 34 and 36 is like, that's a franchise. Those are where franchises are built, dude. Like those early second round picks. That's like the T Higgins slot, right? Like, yeah. But, but to be, to be fair, when we looked it up on the draft chart last week, we figured did, that Kansas sense. city yeah, like 30, 31, they would end up um, being paired to go to 11. And so those two lower picks to be able to get up and get that guy. I agree. It's a lot, but if you think he's that guy and, and the lions aren't, I don't think they're looking to win now 
so to say. So a guy who like that works for their situation, right. To come in in week five or even on the pup list and coming on week six, like that's no problem for them. Yeah. I, and you know, what's interesting too. Uh, we talked about how there were eight teams not drafting the first round. Well, Tampa Bay traded out of the first round. Uh, yeah. So even less teams, like none of I, I none of the eight sure, traded in, right? I thought for yeah. sure at least one of those eight teams would trade into the yeah. first round. Niners, none of them did. Please. But I'll tell you what, like it, it is weird, you know. Other than the Kenyon Green, the Kenyon Green pick, and then the Jahan Dotson one, which again was more, I think, the way the board was falling, and knowing that Washington, I think Washington supposedly was in love with Chris Olave, and they were in a position to do that. But instead, they're like, hey they might've had Jahan Dotson pretty close to Olave on their board. And they're able to, like, Hey, we can pick up a couple of assets so and let new Orleans trade up. Right. And, and, and go up to, to, to 11 and we can just fall back and we'll take whatever the best wide receiver on the board is at that point. But I, I believe the only team that traded out was Tampa Bay. So nine teams didn't have a draft pick tonight. So that that's condensed wild. style. And then you look at the teams who had multiple ones, Jacksonville had multiple uh, Detroit had multiple Houston had multiple. Yeah. The Jets, Jets had, had three. The Giants had multiple. Uh, the first five teams all had a second pick in the, the first Saints round. Saints had That's multiple. Insane. The Eagles uh, ended up only dra- using one of their two, but you could argue, you know, they still ended up getting A.J. Yeah, Brown, so, Brown. Right. So if you want to say they used that asset to pick up a player anyway, that's seven teams who had multiple first round picks, right? Uh, it's Baltimore. Eight, yeah. Baltimore Green Bay. Uh, Chiefs. Tampa, uh, Kansas City. Green Bay. Uh, yeah. Uh, Minnesota, Minnesota traded up to 32. So, uh, or sorry, they traded they back. Traded back yeah. So, yeah. so now Minnesota's on the clock right now at 32 with their first pick in this in this draft. And I'm curious to see as we this wrap up. Right? Be, I it would make sense, but at the same time, I mean Arnold Ibakite is there. I mean, there's a bunch of dudes who are still available um in this draft class. I it, it's been a wild, wild G- draft. Give me give me Ibakiti. Like I want two Penn State first rounders. Let's do this. Let's go, boys. <laughs> I, yeah, because then the Eagles can work all night to get a trade in place to go up and get Nicobe Dean in the second round. <laughs> I would love, I would love a, a, a shocker like Malik Willis. <laughs> well, so that's, I mean, that's oh, a please. thing, right? I mean, they drafted CJ Stroud in the third, not CJ Stroud. They drafted uh, the kid out of Texas A and M last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Why well, can't I think of his name? Gets Zach Paca on it. Um, oh God, I'm just killing me now that I can't think of his name. Um, but, you know, they dra- they drafted a quarterback in like the third round last year, but if they also ex- extended Kirk Cousins. I mean, it, it's theoretically, and we'll know here in about 30 seconds, that Malik uh, Willis is going to fall out of the first round. Zach got to Kellen Mond, Kellen 66th, Mond, thank you. Six Kellen overall Mond. pick. Please. So it was at the beginning, yeah, beginning of the third <laughs> Texas round. Texas A&M, yeah. Um, the Eagles have a drummer. That's wild. Yeah, the Eagles have a drum line. They're always yeah, but he's like playing a drum kit. That's crazy at the yeah. draft. Because we're fucking awesome like that. Yeah, I mean you're okay. Oh my god, Goodell walking out with some massive like chain pendul pendulant or whatever. is it Sauce Gardner's ice? That was sick, by the way. The, the yeah, it was unbelievable. Sice. The Minnesota elect Lewisine. Defensive oh, back Kobe Dean is still out there. Get out so, of here. To recap the players from Georgia who. <laughs> from that Georgia defense who got drafted in the first round, mm-hmm. Trayvon Walker, uh, followed by Jordan Davis, followed by Quay Walker, followed by Devontae Wyatt, and then Lewis Seen. It's five Georgia defensive players got drafted, and none of them are named to Kobe Dean. 
and probably should have been six. Yeah, uh, with Nikola. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. Get out of here. That is – and I'll tell you what. Whoever drafts Nicobe Dean is getting a pissed-off son of a bitch. He's the type oh. of dude who is never going to forget this type of thing. Uh, now, oh, that being said, be- Lewis Seen, I think, is a stud. And I think after Kyle Hamilton, because Kyle Hamilton's ceiling was is so high and his floor is so high, it's hard to compare any other safety to him. But Lewis Seen is really good, as well as Jalen Pitter, the dude out of uh, Baylor. So there's still some – there's a ton of talent here. And that's the thing. It's like, yeah, the first-round talent wasn't sto- like huge this year. There was only guy – like most teams, I think the average like first-round grade that the teams had like number of guys who had a first round grade was like 15 this year, which is really low compared to other years. But uh, from two through four is like off the charts compared to years past. So there is a ton of really, really impactful players who are going to end up still getting drafted here. Um, what it's, a draft boys. What a yeah. draft. Well, to uh, look ahead on that it, tomorrow, yeah. the first pick uh, or today, if you're listening on Friday, the first pick is Tampa Bay. They have the first you're the Vikings oh, after there that. There goes Nicobe Dean. Well, <laughs> they've already got two linebackers, though. And and the other piece, the, the Seahawks have two picks. They have eight and nine in the second round. Um, there's a lot of multiple picks again in the second round. Hey, this, and this Vito, we're finally picking tomorrow. <laughs> we, I'm I'm the last pick of the second round, and then yeah, else I think we're pick. like fifth to last. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this will be a fun year. But th- yes. there's just a lot of talent still. This draft still has so much to offer. It's going to be amazing to follow this through the weekend. Yeah, let's see here. San Francisco. 61, when, I believe. 61, so you're in the back end. The Eagles 63, pick, something like that. Eagles pick again at 51, the 19th pick of the second round. So they would Jesus have Christ, the Jets are going to have seven picks before the Niners and Broncos get there. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we got Tampa Bay, Minnesota, uh, Tennessee, Giants, Houston, Jets to kick off. The and then the Bears. So the Bears will be, I guess, Tampa Bay because they didn't pick tonight either. But the Bears will be, uh, and Tampa Bay will be the two teams that uh, what, didn't have a first round pick who will one, get a chance to see. One question for you guys Where do you think Malik Willis goes now? <sighs> Quickly, Tennessee, I mean, there's Tennessee at 35. Tennessee, yeah. I was going to say that too. Yeah. That's and a if, good fit. And if not there, I mean, you can look at the Giants at 36, uh, Seahawks at 40. And 41, mm-hmm. the Seahawks have back-to-back picks at 40 and 41. Yep. Uh, and then the Falcons at 43. I think the parachute for him would probably be the Falcons there at 43. Um, it depends on how committed the Seahawks are to rebuilding and just throwing a year out with Drew Locke and seeing what happens. Um, it, it, Malik Willis not getting snuck in there, um, that's surprising. But the talent and everything, that's still that's still out there. Yeah. I agree. And, I think you have a couple first round talents still in the pool. Well, um, and let's let's go through some of the names here, and then I have one more question here: uh, Nicobe Dean, Malik Willis, Andrew Booth, Brees Hall, uh, Ibikite, uh, Ojabu, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mafi, the def- the outside linebacker from Minnesota, Christian Watson, Sky Moore, um, Desmond Ritter, Kenneth Walker, uh, Matt Corral, still out there, Jalen Pitter, Sam Howell, um, Josh Pascal, the defensive end out of Kentucky. Um, Bernard Raymond, the offensive tackle from Central Michigan, uh, Perion Winfrey, the defensive tackle from Oklahoma, and you have Mitchie, Mitchie and Christian Harris. I would expect, I mean, get all those dudes. Uh, also, Drake Johnson, uh, Drake Jackson, too, the outside linebacker from USC, I really like. Um, it's going to be really interesting. And, yeah. and day, day two, uh, that to me is where drafts are ultimately won and lost the most. 
is is where how does your team do on hitting on second and third round picks and if your I team agree. hits on a couple of those guys the dallas goddards of the world right i mean those second and third round guys like that's where most people end up winning uh, you know a lot of super bowls a lot of games get won and lost by how well you produce in the draft in the second and third round um all right so let's let's end with this we each get one your favorite moment and or draft pick from night one of the nfl draft oh man so i know this is funny but like for me there was a moment that i think i'll remember for a while and it wasn't a draft pick it was actually um when they walked out and introduced all the players and they call them each up one by one and they come out um, to take a picture all together Everyone had this crazy done up suit that's custom, right? And had like, so it, the, the, the fashion has gone off the charts of this stuff. But then uh, George Kaloftis out of Purdue comes in looking like everyone you've seen at a career fair in college ever. Like, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just like, he came out and I was like, this guy, this guy's a big 10 defensive end right here. Like, it was just so funny. He was like, that's a great go back and look at it. And it was just so fun. It was probably like the suit he's had for a long time, but it was to me, it was like a stood out moment where for him it was business for everyone else. It was like a giant event, but uh, that stood out to me. And then, and then in the draft, I think the moment that was craziest for me, and I know it's maybe probably for you, Jeff was the actual Eagles trade. Like that was a really great trade um, to get a, a surefire wide receiver, number one, and, and really not have to give up much for it. And, and the fact that Tennessee was willing to do that, it was also a little strange. And I guess it's more for a contract and, and again, the way they're going to build their team, but that was it for me. Yeah, for me, uh, I think my my funniest moment of the draft was uh, Sauce Gardner taking a left turn when he should have taken a right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that then hustling incredible. back while he was carrying the ice. Yeah, he had to hold the chain because it was so heavy. He was so petrified of that thing of that thing ripping off his neck as he was. Yeah. Running. Yeah, so that that was my funniest. I think the uh, the the biggest moment was as much as I hate it. The uh, not hate hates a strong word. As much as I, you know, the Pittsburgh thing. It was it was really cool to see Kenny Pickett as emotional as he was getting the call from the Steelers and then him being with his family and all that. So, uh, you know, a really cool moment. And that's that's you know, the kind of stuff that that this draft brings out and. Uh, and even though it was Pittsburgh, it's uh, it's it's one of my favorite things about sports is is the emotion of it. So uh, really cool to see that. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. The Kenny Pickett story was awesome. My, my favorite moment was Roger Goodell after 13 years of being the uh, MC of the first round of the NFL draft is still just as bad at public speaking as he ever was. And the awkward. Hey, Ice Cube, I, I, oh my I see you up front. God. Hey, come up on stage, man, which had to have been planned. Yes. Because Ice oh, Cube yeah. went out and the, like, went through the back and Ice Cube happened to be standing. Ice Cube's not <laughs> sitting in the front row around all the fans. Like, what are we doing? It was no. so cringe. And my, my dad was killing me with some of the jokes, dude. I was, I said to him, I was like, we were like doing imitations of Roger Goodell calling out to Ice T or Ice Cube. And I was like, I was like, hey, Cube. What's that song? What do you guys say to the police again? I don't, I don't remember, you know, just awkward <laughs> old white guy trying to talk to ice cube. Uh, so that killed me. Just, I thought it was, I thought it was so funny. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, my obviously as a fan, it doesn't get any better than trading up in a draft and you're just on pins and needles, just like, who are we going to take? I wanted Kyle Hamilton so bad, but then knowing that it was likely going to be Jordan Davis and just knowing the upside and what he could be and what a specimen he is as a human being, it gets you so excited and the hope just fills you. We talked about this, you know, Vito, you and I did my rant last week after the Joel Embiid buzzer beater, right? Like that was one of those fan moments where like, I don't care about any of the negatives. Did you see what that guy did at the combine? I don't care how hard I've criticized the combine. Did you see what that guy did in his three cone <laughs> shuttle? You yeah. know? Um, so that moment. And then, yeah, obviously AJ Brown being a, being a Philadelphia Eagle was, was, was unbelievable. Um, and, and I would just say as a whole, just those moments, just seeing these guys have their lives made, you know, all of these yeah. guys are guys yeah. I covered in college, all guys I've talked about for multiple years. Um, and to see them have these amazing moments around their families uh, for sure was, and, was amazing. So, and I can't remember the last time a number one overall pick was not there on site other than 2020 when everyone was remote, but like, yeah. but Trayvon Walker being there with his family, that was pretty cool. Uh, even though he wasn't, uh, I've, well, I, I don't recall Baker, the last time an overall first uh, pick was, was not there. Oh, really? Yeah, Baker. Yeah. I don't think, and honestly, I kind of love it. I, I, I really do. do. I, I think it's, yeah. we have the technology that like, Hey, you're going to, your, your agency is going to set you up in a nice Airbnb. They're going to cater the whole thing. You can have as many people as you want. You get to wear whatever you want and you get to have as many of your family members around of it, yeah. around you, as opposed to being like, Hey, there's five people here. And one of them's your agent well, and you have to make a tough decision. You get those to just, lounges look nice. I will say this year, those were built oh, yeah. out. That oh, was yeah. wild. That's it looked like, well, that's the thing. It was literally a lounge <laughs> at a Vegas casino. Like that's what they were. It was like poolside, like cabanas. It was kind of awesome. It was awesome. And, and again, like even like the player who I didn't love the most in this draft, who was Chris Charles cross. And, and we talked about it, like, I felt like Seattle took him in the right spot. Like I just feel like a lot of this draft is either going to be like, everybody took, <laughs> their guy at the either at the right spot or they all drafted for need and not best player available. And it's going to bite some teams to come in the back. And well, that, me and Vito don't have guys yet. So chill out there. That Hoss. is the best part of the NFL draft is because we all, we all have such high hopes and half of these guys are going to be good. The other half are not going to have amazing careers, but this is a night of hope for you and your fan base. And so as a fan for all of us, that's what's amazing about the draft. So uh, thank you for coming along. I know we just talked for about an hour straight, but, and half of it was just what the fuck just happened. Um, I just love it. I love how this first round went and the NFL draft is it's undefeated, man. It's, it's, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else. We can talk about our favorite sporting events and all these amazing things. There's nothing that is similar to what the NFL draft is. And uh, it's why it's one of my favorite nights of the year. And, and oh, yeah. to have that with the Sixers 30 point win, <laughs> After people are going to hear in the open how I was ready to just disband the entire team altogether. And now well, the Eagles, the Sixers win by 30. The Phillies finish out with a sweep. And we have A.J. Brown as a fucking Philadelphia Eagle. And Jordan Davis is going to be the next fucking Fletcher Cox. So uh, I'm, I'm on an absolute high. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we will break down the rest of the NFL draft and some of our favorite picks from the second, third rounds, as well as the rest of the draft on Tuesday's pod. Uh, as well as update everybody on the NBA playoffs. For the boys, thank you guys for hanging out late. This was a slightly drunk, slightly uh, – the draft was slightly drunk. We were also slightly drunk, but that is what makes the NFL draft so beautiful. So we love you. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you guys then. Take it easy, everybody. Bye.